0: Peace
1: Welcome to the corner of Doctor Who fandom that up until watching the subject of tonight's episode just presumed the unexpected snake of the dessert course at one of Gianty and and Gary Downey's dinner parties It's The Bullish Box, the podcast that puts Doctor Who in the dock I'm Lee
2: Now you can breathe in
1: and I'm Dave <laughs> <laughs> And I'm Cameron I thought i started with a long one, for now, for now
0: Oh god, we, is this the tool we've set already for the night?
1: This is the tone we have set over the last 39 episodes. I mean, well, this is true, yeah, I suppose. People don't expect too much of us, so why raise people's expectations by being any good?
0: Well, <laughs> yeah, a, I think it's. You should that's... be a careers officer at a school. Can you imagine that? Well, uh, you know, you, you might as well just not do anything, and then, yeah. you know.
1: Right. Basically, son, just did
2: it, try. I've linked your projected grades for the year. and. Yeah, that's a shame,
0: isn't it? Did anyone else do that quiz in school where they got to choose all those multiple choice questions and they had to, like th- their ideal job was spat back at them by this computer program? <laughs>
1: no. but, but no, you know,
0: it's, it's all this stuff like you know, do, 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 you know, do, would you like working outdoors? Yes, no. You know, would you mind high temperatures? Yes, no. Whatever. And then it's like um, it, it, when I did it all, it's like fifty odd questions, and I ended up getting like either antique stealer or undertaker.
1: <laughs> Fairly apt considering you're all podcast isn't it? Well, yeah, so, you know. sadly, but
0: no, 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 <laughs> not really. But uh, yeah, that's what I ended up getting. I just sorry right. segue and end the, oh, the no, introduction
1: that's, now. That's okay. I was just going to ask how the uh, job as uh, David Dickinson impersonator went for you. Um, well, I ran out of time. Uh, yeah. then you had to settle for love joint, there eh?
0: I had to, well I had to stick with Lovejoy, and It was like you know, I had to do the David Dickinson, but I was kinda of moonlighting as um you know, and I've totally forgotten his name now. So I've ruined that joke. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so we move on to the hands.
1: Jill Winton, that was it. <laughs> That would have been a lot better. You can edit that one. Ah, okay. No, no, that, that, that's, that's fine. We'll keep that unfamed antique dealer, Dale Winton. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That, that'll make perfect it's sense now. double
0: shifts both at the same time, you get through a hell of a lot of fake time, I ran out. That joke could have been so much better constructed had there actually remembered the name of the guy,
1: but you know. Yeah, we, we need to workshop these beforehand, don't we? Do. We Yeah. Really, need to. Shall we get onto the matter on hand then? Because we've got a wee bit to get through before we start on tonight's episode. Oh, all right, okay. we are be probably better then. Okay, because last time, episode 39, was a two-parter, because we had so much to cram in. Uh, we done Mission to the Unknown and The End of Time, so we split it over two episodes. So, last episode you heard didn't have the poll results, but we've got them now. Do you want to just dive straight into it?
2: Yeah, let's go. It's okay. if we're going to tell stupid stories, so yeah.
1: Okay, so episode 39, part one, was Mission to the Unknown. Uh, Cameron, you were defending that? Yep. Dave was there for prosecuting. Makes now, sense. The two poll results are polls apart, as we'll th- as we'll find out. Mission to the Unknown, the results were guilty, eight per cent, not guilty, ninety two per cent. Sweet. Which I think is the biggest difference uh in guilty not guilty that we've ever had on the post box. I don't think we've ever had a higher one than that.
0: I'd like to think that in doing that I wasn't just defending that uh, reconstruction of Doctor Who I was defending student filmmaking as a whole So I'll dedicate that win to uh, media students everywhere
2: (laughs) And I'm sure you'll get lots of thank you letters in the post
0: Badly spelt and in crayon Yes, badly spelt and in crayon, when they can afford the stamps Yeah
1: And not signed up from the CIA
0: Yep, not sign from the CIA, don't, don't, don't sign
1: not the You're CIA. You're not allowed to use the acronym. Nope. So, resounding uh, victory for you there, Cameron. Right, excellent, cool. The end of time, however, that was a different kettle of fish entirely. Dave was prosecuting that again. Cameron, you were defending that again. Now, it was. this one was fairly close for the most of the seven days. Uh, we got up to yesterday afternoon and it was 50-50. So, with 90 minutes to go this afternoon, I put another tweet out just to remind people the poll's closing. And it went mental. We started going guilty, then it went back to 50-50, then it went not guilty, then back up to guilty again, and it chopped and changed over the course of 90 minutes. So, therefore, the result for the end of time is guilty, 48%, not guilty, 52%. It squeaks into the cannon. It's the Brexit. (laughs)
2: <laughs> A double win for camera.
1: It's the Brexit episode, wow. and it's just as popular in this house. <laughs> well, I was thinking we were going to get for our second 50 50 uh, that we've ever had there. Yeah. What was the first one? I can't the remember now which one was. The 50 50 we had was, sadly enough, the, the return of Dr. Mysterio. Oh, okay
0: weird that's,
1: one yeah that's that's the only 50-50 we've ever had uh, in that case we went for the original verdict of not guilty uh, to decide it yeah just so, that one. had yeah. that happened tonight and, well, not guilty verdict would have passed anyway because we ruled not guilty at the end of the last episode so there you go uh, both of those going into the canon then of uh, the unofficial official canon of Doctor Who that we're putting together
0: marvellous
2: so maybe there's a slight flaw in the plan that the tiebreak goes to somebody who really 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 likes Doctor Who because, <laughs> you know, that kind of knows which way the 50-50s are going to go
0: all the time
1: We should come up with some sort of way to make it a bit more random as to how it ends up, really, shouldn't we?
0: I told you, I've got a, I've a big box with Doctor Who Risk on that shelf over there And that's what we can play When we can all get that together, we need to play that so start any 50-50s <laughs> Just do it live, on Because that'll be a
2: quick decision, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: It's, yeah. Like, it's like Risk only with Daleks it's like everything else we do in the post box, it's always clicking to the point. Yeah. Okay, then we're off the back of those two results then uh Cameron you get to pick where you want to prosecute or defend what we draw in the next episodes. Uh Dave you'll be selecting Stock name both so just to decide what Cameron gets, but we'll do that later on. Cool. Let's get into it. Uh what we're gonna be talking about tonight then. Uh if you're both ready, shall we get into it?
0: Yes. Both ready.
1: Okay then, so let's go back to 1983, put on our best Cilla Black Voices and ask, what's the matter, Chuck, as we put Snake Dance on trial. Are we on Manusa? Good. Are we? Yes, we are. How did I
0: know
1: that? Manusa, formerly homeworld of the Sumaran Empire, which may or may not ring a bell. Is it Tegan? The Sumaran Empire. The ceremony and everything, it's all such nonsense, isn't it? Is it? Of course it is, but all so long ago. The Mara was destroyed 500 years ago, and yet we're still
2: celebrating it. The Mara was destroyed, not banished to another dimension. It
1: won't return in a dream or in any other form.
2: Well, it made a good story. quite made my hair stand
0: an end. Ambrose's predecessor was rather good value, even if he was talking nonsense. The great
1: crystal is a source of the Mara's power. It needs that power to make itself reoccur. That's why it has returned. I think we've heard enough. Take him away. Through the great crystal, the Mara will reoccur as a physical fact here on Medusa.
0: Only one thing remains to be decided. Yes. Me? Who? Oh, uh, I could assist uh, in whatever capacity <laughs> using my discretion.
1: <laughs> uh, oh. or oh. I could simply forget uh, whichever and whatever you prefer. He has served his purpose.
2: You are no longer necessary. Look at me.
0: No. No, please. What are you doing? Look at me. No! Look at me. I'm not going to harm you. Look at me.
1: That's right, look at me, look at me. (laughs) Nick was written by.
2: <laughs> was that literally the extent of your best voice? That one slight twinge on a word.
1: G- given the, imper- the level of impersonations over the last few weeks, I wasn't going to attempt it. Okay. So really, so... it
2: was put on our mildest syllable voice. <laughs> <laughs> Say one that's... word that's associated associated with her, and
1: then move on. Oh well, she's that's dead fine. now. She, she's dead now. She doesn't have an accent anymore, does she? She
0: hated being from Liverpool anyway. Most people do.
1: <laughs> okay, so Snake Dance was written by Christopher Bailey, directed by Fiona Cummings and produced by John Nathan Turner. It starred Peter Davison as the Doctor, Janet Fielding as Tegan, and Sarah Sutton who played Nyssa and a visual representation of the test card. It also starred Martin Clunes as Lon, Colette O'Neill as Tana, John Carson as Ambrill, Preston Lockwood as Dodgen, Jonathan Morris as Chela and Brian Miller as Dugdale. It was broadcast between the 18th and the 26th of January 1983, and the viewing figures were 6.7 million for part one, 7.7 million for part two, 6.6 million for part three, and 7.4 million for part four. Dave, you're going to be defending this one. Okay. Cameron, therefore, is prosecuting. Yep. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) feel the enthusiasm. (laughs)
0: just like oh yeah sorry i should
1: really put something in yeah 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 before we start then should we have, have the listener evidence probably better Okay, so listener evidence, uh, Deborah has been in touch to say Snake Dance creates a believable world with recognisable characters while building up the myth of one of Doctor Who's most fascinating monsters. There's a compassion but sincerity with which humanity is broken down in the Mara Tales that sets these stories apart. Not guilty. Uh, Mark Donaldson from On the Time Lash says not guilty. Oh, hi, him? Aye, hi, him? <laughs> Mark says, not guilty, one of the highs of the Davison era, Doctor Who is its strangest, uh, a, takedown of academia, sorry, a takedown of academia and of the ludicrousness of societal need for ancient rituals and traditions, all of which is undercut by Angus Dayton introducing it out of context Martin Flames clips a decade later. Uh, in response to that chronic hysteresis said, strong agree with Mark on this, The costume makes perfect sense in context. It's a marker of the ridiculous nature of tradition and of Leon's membership of a decadent upper class. Then going something to say, uh, as is the case with robots of death. I won't hear criticisms of the costume there. They're a very elegant indication that in a society where similar looking robots do all the manual work, humans resort to elaborate artifice as something to do and a way of asserting individuality. As you can refer to those as you go But uh, Dave, do you want to start us off For the first point for the defence on Snake Dance
2: People see a lot of things in episodes of Doctor Who, don't they? Yeah, and, and it's a weird one to start I didn't find anything offensive in these Because normally you look at all do- Doctor Who's and go Oh, the- oh no, you-, you can't just have all the black guys dressed holding spears And obviously like talons and that There's always subtle undertones of racism or misogyny There isn't much of it in this You've got the obvious saying of, like, a backwards society where they worship jewels, And it could have been really racist or really anti-Muslim or anything like that. But they managed to avoid all of it. I was waiting for the offensive bit and there was none. And I was quite surprised and quite happily surprised by it.
0: Am I to understand your opening gambit in defending Snake Dances, it's not racist? Yes. It's, it's a pretty not racist, it's low not sexist, it's bar awful, for something <laughs> to achieve. <laughs> yeah. if you say it's not sexist, but oh, I'll, I'll get into that more later with the, the sort of treatment of the female characters in this, especially the two companions, which I don't feel is particularly great in that sense. but you, it does contain. I will grant you one piece of sort of nicer, you know, taking a first few like, tiny step in fighting the feminist cause by telling the Doctor when he lifts her over the threshold of a door to get, you know, and puts her down gently she turns around and says, thank you, but that was unnecessary <laughs> but, um strong, I'm independent just, women obviously, yeah, um, I, I find it quite, yes, it's got nothing borderline offensive that now would require a warning on Britbox but I, which I, is quite I, unusual for a classic Who I find that quite a low bar to set up for a first point of defence.
2: Stars, you mean to go on? Keep it low.
1: Are there that many examples of kind of overt racism in the Davison era, though? Because that's
2: there's sometimes a lot of subtext of racism in the episodes, mostly non-thinking
0: racism. I mean, if we're to go back to the kind of prequel to this, would be Kinder. You could probably say there's a lot more in that because obviously that's all about sort of tribes people in the jungle and, you know, white men coming in to take over and, you know, try and change what this tribe are doing. Fine, you can probably see a lot in that. Um But in Kinder, obviously, they're kind of the white guys are the, to be ridiculed. This has nothing like that as far as that's concerned, I no, suppose. Because there's a lot of episodes where
2: you sit back and watch them and go, oh, that, that's a bit uncomfortable, I, I remember it as a good story and it's still a good story but it's a bit slightly off-kilter now to watch, whereas this, there was nothing in there that you wouldn't, if there was somebody who said, why do you watch Old Doctor? You'd go, well, you can watch this, and it's not got anything real to will sit on the couch and go, well, maybe I shouldn't let them watch this as the first one because it's a bit dodgy. It's just a good story, with no spear chuckers or tribes of Africans or people with random names who are obviously meant to be Muslims or, and they even have a go at the fake psychics.
1: I might just correct myself there because I, I, I suggested that there might not be anything of that out in the Peter Davison era, but then I remembered uh, Anthony Ainley's accent and time flight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> the judge was like, to make you, as nice. soon as you said that, I was
0: like, there's nothing racist or offensive in the Davison era. I was like, I'm there going, there must oh. be. There's so must be. <laughs> and and then, I, yeah, I, that would be the major thing. So, yeah, okay, we can grant to the court that um, Snake Dance is not racist. But I would argue that that's a pretty low bar for it to achieve. You know, it's like kind of going, well done, you've not murdered anyone today.
2: It, it's a low bar now, but for the episodes that were made at that time, for the classic episodes, there's almost always
0: one scene where you go, yeah, they maybe shouldn't have done that. I don't think that's a purposeful thing, though. It's not like a... No, you know, the, I don't think it's purposeful Right, either. It's a, let's not offend anyone
2: no because if you want an offensive television you end up with fucking michael mcintyre the most offensive (laughs) man on television
0: yeah
2: and he's
0: chinese um yeah that's a bit all i've really got to say on that to be honest in 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 response because it's not really something that you can prosecute it for Well, I can, yeah, I I will agree. As I said, I will agree the fact that yeah, there's not really much offensive in it, but I'd say that should be fairly standard anyway. If we're about to praise them for not sort of you know having a black person called Cotton in it, for example, or anything like that, (laughs) then
1: whoop dee doo. Well, Dave Dave is right. I mean, this sort of thing happens less and less as you get to this era of Doctor Who. I mean, if you go back to the 60s, you can pick and choose. Oh, yeah. God, yeah, there's loads. And even as late as some of the later Tom Baker ones, there's some suspicious uh, choices made, shall we say.
0: Well, obviously, as we've already briefly touched on, you know, the towns of Wing Chiang, Fu Manchu, going on you know by a
1: white actor kind of thing that's yeah. you know I mean, I, yeah. you're talking about writers of a certain age at that point as you get into the david series you're getting more younger writers directors coming through that yeah. would make more of a conscious effort to kind of edit that out of a script if anything like that came along so yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, David you you know not known for that sort of thing so yeah snake Dance stands up to that point so uh yeah okay on, first point for the prosecution then
0: Okay, uh, in amongst all of this, um, there's a few th- points I've got, and uh, this might be an unusual one to leap on first, but it's the first thing you can visually really notice in this. We need to talk about the wardrobe, especially <laughs> Lon's wardrobe. This is the clip as we've sort of, as Mark sort of touched on just then with the uh, you know Angus Dayton clips. Uh, This is the appearance that Martin Clunes was faced with on every single chat show he ever appeared on for the next 20 years after this, I think. In a kind of way of going, oh, you were in Doctor Who back in the day, weren't you? Here you are. Lon has two modes of dress in this entire story. Uh, The actual sediment at the end, in which he appears he's like uh, a prince about to do the washing up with his marigolds on. And the rest of it is uh, Durangurango, falconry. and
1: Well, they are wild boys.
0: They are indeed, yes. I do not know what conscious decision. I'm not also sure why he has to have red like eyeshadow on the lower half of his eyelids to sort of, you know, makes it look like he hasn't slept for ten days or something. I don't quite know how that's a fashion on this planet but um, the wardrobe choices in this look absolutely horrendous especially for his character it's terrible and it's one of these points of it's the reference point for anyone outside to mock Doctor Who for years later and I'm sure to say Martin Clunes I think there must be about 3 or 4 chapter appearances I can remember where he appeared on bloody Pebble Mill or something like that and they dredged this one up again and it's it's for anyone outside just to like, point and laugh at Doctor Who, this just is an absolute beacon for that kind of behaviour.
2: Yeah, the, the costumes are completely batshit. They're great. The costume budget on this must have been insane. because it, lo- it was either no, insane or really insane. cheap. <laughs> it, it looks like they might have just found all the offcuts of fabric and kept throwing them at things till they all stuck. And then cut holes in them down
0: the sleeves just for fun. It's but very difficult to get though to like when he's got this in at the end he's going but you know going, I have no fear for the fear drips through my my marigolded hands. Uh, why is he got like little cartoon clouds on his tabard thing? What is that? What does because it? has the sun and the sky. But it's <laughs> like it looks like some like thing you'd wear as like as a child in primary school to stop the PVA glue getting on your jumper. What is going on with that dress?
2: I think that the plan was to show that the people in the market all the time were always wearing like creamy, grey, beige, dusty, khaki coloured robes. So his was so different and so bright to show that he was the little rich boy, princeling, who'd never done a day's work in his life. And I think that was why they were trying to juxtapose the two. He was so different from the normal people with their rags and robes that he just wore brightly coloured hairy gloves and stuff like that
0: he's supposed to be like this reference to george and the dragon in that he's the hero that defeated the mara i don't i don't see how the mara as an evil entity would look upon this man wearing his rubber gloves and his apron and and (laughs) being anywhere (laughs) near with fear about what was was about to happen
1: (laughs) I, I fight this creature in the name of the Federation and myself and glow Fantastic Colors And so, so, so. It's bang
0: <laughs> Bang and the mana is gone <laughs> So you know it's just oh, the,
2: the costume is very very extra I believe is how it would be put. It's extra crap is what it is It's quite mental
0: Yes not in a good well, way It works
1: Nope. I am just amazed that the prosecution have brought up costumes as the first point of order in so, this case so was I and, and did not instantly go to the abomination that Nyssa is dressed in Nyssa is <laughs> always so, dressed that way though now in Kinder Nyssa spends two the first two episodes the first hour of the episode in the Taurus with a headache after looking at that costume I needed to lie down for an hour and miss the first two episodes of Snake Dance. it's That's not
0: costume,
1: it's ridiculous. oh you need her shot of...
2: with a skirt on top and then a bow on top of that. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> all the and cool
1: every bar a wearing. different colour. <laughs> and then there's a really weird bit. It's it like a really uncomfortable fluff taking scene she does with the doctor? That, how why, why are you not noticing him in my fantastic clothes? I've been chucked together by a blind chimpanzee. Oh, is
0: that, like the, is that like the opening scene, isn't yeah. it?
1: Yeah. But when they're when all like, "Kind of going, doctor."
2: Well. You look fucking weird. You're like,
0: right here.
1: You look different.
0: Yes, I've got a new dress. Oh, yeah, great! Great.
1: Mentalist, Nessa. Now move aside. <laughs> yes.
0: You dressed like you've escaped. Nissa always has that weird wardrobe, though. so they all do. That, to, her, uh, to be honest, I didn't really notice Nissa's dress in this, mainly because that a would mean on
2: and staple to himself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tom Baker had a
2: four hundred foot long scarf. They were all dressed weird all the time. Patrick Trouton had a truncheon in his pocket, in case any of the blacks got too close.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a truncheon in his pocket, or was he just pleased to see you? Because <laughs> the evidence would suggest, he was always pleased to see you. to see everybody, yeah. Oh dear.
0: So yeah, that, that I, I too am surprised that I've had to bring up the wardrobe first, but I figured it was the first thing you would notice visually in this story.
2: Okay, oh, can I, Dave, So, so the Dave? first thing you didn't notice in this story visually wasn't the little old Monty Python man sitting in the desert.
0: (laughs) We'll get to him. (laughs) (laughs)
2: It's... (laughs) Alright, next point for the defense. It's going to be Clunes. It's going to be a side Martin Clunesy point. Martin Clunes is in this. Jonathan Morris is in this. Before he was in Bread. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes.
2: And this just goes to show that Doctor Who at that point in time was almost a factory for young British acting talent to get experience. Because every story they needed another 10, 15, 20, usually relatively young actors to play parts that hadn't been in it before. So there'd be this constant churn of actors that had been in Doctor Who. Got them experience of working in television, got them contacts, and then sent them out into the world of television. And I think that's something that's been lost from modern Doctor Who. Because now you get somebody who's done anything else appearing in Doctor Who and it's front page news on a shitty newspaper. Never guess who's the companion this week. No, they're not a companion. There's the guest star. And then you get all the posh, famous people trying to be guest stars and end up as the fucking lodger. Whereas if don't, it was made, if it was don't made don't 20 years ago, but if it was made 20 years ago, that lodger would have been played by some random young actor who would now be on clips going, so you were in Doctor Who while you were younger playing a lodger. And I think it's lost that in the newer episodes because mm. it's such a thing to be in Doctor Who now whereas back then it would have been a big thing for a young actor to be in Doctor Who but it wouldn't have been impossible to get the part
0: I think there'll be a certain irony in your point there in the fact that um, whereas young British talent from what you're saying in the 1980s would appear in Doctor Who now they would just appear in Doctors yeah Um, <laughs> you know there's a certain thing there or Hollyoaks no see, Hollyoaks just use models don't they like like no, catalogue no models to I teach. Don't watch it. They, they do they use models and then try and teach them how to
1: act on the job and that's it so that's oh. why you get Hollyoaks <laughs> I know the budget being cut but I didn't realise it went down to like you know figurines
0: well yeah it's, it's all just perfect. Perfect,
1: mate They probably, probably give a better performance than most of the cast of Hollyoaks be well, honest well yeah it, it, it's,
0: it's the Autons do soap
1: opera um, <laughs> that's what it is it's a looking. That, so, that's what they do they get a job in Hollyoaks and put themselves in the shop window yeah exactly,
0: yeah, exactly. Uh,
1: quite if, if the Doctor
2: was a British TV soap. Which soap would it be? <laughs> oh God! Let's, let's get the jingle, jingle ready. This is obviously River City.
1: Come on, Mitch. <laughs> We then. Capaldi is River City.
0: Right.
1: 12 to go. Are we playing this? Are we seriously playing this? It would appear so.
0: Oh, God. Col-
1: down the gauntlet. You have to All ask. right.
0: Oh. Colin Baker would be El Dorado. Nice. <laughs> in that it appeared in a big budget, but no one really liked it, so it went away. And Spain is <laughs> the last thing as well.
2: <laughs> I think Tom Baker's got to be crossroads then. Because really? it's completely mental. And you can't remember watching it But you don't quite remember what happened It's every <laughs> Tom Baker story
0: And it was all a dream at the end Yep um, What else have we got?
1: We've already used up River City So that by default makes the best In Take the High Road Yep oh,
0: I was going to say David Tennant for Take the High Road Because all the wee grannies love him <laughs>
2: um, But yeah that, Smith might be Hollyoaks Maybe Eccleston's probably Coronation Street
1: yeah, it's called Nation Street all day long, really, isn't he? Yeah, a bit, a involved with southern soap operas.
0: I'm trying. I think are we, are we are we counting the archers in this for one of them?
1: Why not? I it's a, suppose. It's a yeah, yeah, long running,
0: yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Even though you know, it's not on television, it's on the radio. So what would that be? either Hartnell or Trouton would be the archers, surely. I can see that.
1: Yeah. I mean, if we're extending this to other serials, I mean, Hartnell would definitely be Love Thy Neighbor, but that's a comedy, so we can't really count that.
0: Not really. No. <laughs> Oh god, this is tough. i feel sad sure we've standards yeah? Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think yeah. of who's like who's like the most southernly born Doctor Who actor.
1: That's what I was going for. Well, we've got Hartnell, Trouton, Pertwee, Davison, McGann, Tennant, whatever's left. Oh, and John Hurt. Uh,
2: John Hurt could be standards. Gritty, grimy, but still fairly watchable.
1: There we go. <laughs> All right. Are we
2: not running out of soaps here?
1: Oh! Well, no, no, there's that yeah, Welsh I soap know. that's always in Welsh. Yeah.
2: Bless you.
1: <laughs> Pertwee. What would Pertwee be? God, I don't know. Something uh, with highfalutin ideals, but... Uh, Brookside. Brookside. Well, <laughs> oh, McGann should be Brookside, being a scouser, no?
0: Yeah. Uh, McGann would with Brookside, uh, wouldn't he? It's obvious. It's obvious. Which,
1: uh, like McGann,
2: strange fact that I found out today while I was research. Always. Tegan. Went on to be a, an agent for like actors. Mm. She was Paul McGann's agent when he got the job of Doctor Who.
1: Yeah, that's
0: just yeah. I, I, I remember Janet Field saying, I huh?
1: that's just weird." That's another fella in the cap of one of the greatest Doctor Who companions ever, as far as I'm concerned. I wonder uh-huh. which
0: way Lee's going to come down at the end of this episode. <laughs> Let's have a think. I think we've officially
2: run out of soap, surely. Yeah, I think we should go back to what we're meant to be doing. they will drag us down. Oh, later. you
1: guys are no fun. <laughs> I'll tell you what: the remaining ones we'll put out to the listeners and see what they can come up with.
0: All right, okay. I'm going to do part of that the next board. episodes.
1: What's your, what's your remaining list then? Whitaker. So, remaining, we have William Hartnell, Patrick Troughton, John Pertwee, David Tennant, and Jodie Whittaker. So if we can match okay. them up, we will. We'll Reveal the list in the next episode. Would so David
0: would Tennant? Questions. Would David Tennant not be neighbours in the fact that it's he's, he's always on, and <laughs> regardless of whether you watch soaps or not, people just seem to love it.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, we can take Tennant off the list. That seems a good reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Unless anyone can come up with anything better, that'll be yeah. So um, Tennant's
1: neighbours. Which one's home and away then? Oh, the inferior David Tennant. The inferior David Tennant. Oh my god.
0: I know a lot of people would argue Matt Smith would be the inferior David Tennant, but I
1: don't think so personally. If we're going down Australia soap operas, then Patrick with sons and daughters, because he's got loads of those. <laughs> there we go. Right, okay. Uh, uh, so apparently, using that logic, uh, drives a lot of vehicles in his spare time, so he could be one of the flying doctors. Yes. So he's off the list now, so we oh, will just a part of <laughs> We've got a totally rich vein here in Australia, haven't we? <laughs> Prisoner Cell Block H, anyone? Was that no women's prison?
0: Yeah, was Prisoner Cell Block H no beast in a women's prison?
1: It was. There you would have sorted that. Just Billy to go then. Doesn't necessarily <laughs> oh, have to be Australian. Z cars. Because why not?
2: <laughs> because it's old, black and white, and dead now. <laughs>
1: And that completes another around of If The Doctor Was. Oh my, did we actually get with, to the end of that? We did. With the usual levels of good taste and decency involved. Yes. Well done. Well done, everyone. Applaud,
0: applaud. I've forgotten where we were in the case.
1: <laughs> uh, Dave was defending something, but I've no idea what it was. I it? was defending the
2: fact
0: that Doctor Who gave a lot of young British actors their start in acting. And I would counter that with mostly when they look back and ridicule it.
2: Yeah, but when you're getting brought on as a successful British actor, OBE, and they say, ah, look at what you did when you were young. sir," you're like, yeah, whatever. Because I don't, I don't know if they would be ashamed of that role. I think there's a lot of things they're probably ashamed of. I think Martin Clunes might be ashamed of half the jokes he made in Men Behaving Badly. <laughs> Far more than he'd be ashamed of what he did in Doctor Who. Um... I think the fact that I gave them the chances is a good thing.
0: I think... Without wishing to put the disrespect onto Martin Clunes and his career, I don't think it's quite that he hit the stratosphere. I don't, you know, when you think sort of, you know, famous British actors, I don't think Martin Clunes is the first name that comes to your mind.
1: I had a very successful television career. Well, where's... But, no Alan you know...
0: Davies, though, is he? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, well, what he's uh, had, the two main things, what men behaving badly, you already mentioned, and what Doc Martin as well.
1: Yeah, but, but is this the point when we get up a Wikipedia of an actor that's in the episode we're talking about and find out what they've done? No, this I don't it, know. Isn't it? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have a look. There we go. And also, right.
0: just look up, is he an OBE? Yes, yeah, yeah.
1: is. an OBE. Is it? it's... Oh, I see. Right. It's almost so... like I asked.
2: They did some research today. I
0: was <laughs> just about well, to say, well done, Dave, well done.
1: Martin Clunes has starred in various programmes, including Harry Enfield's television programme, Jeeves and Worcester, Inspector Morse, Lovejoy, uh, something called Kipper, which I believe they're going to give the Fish from Marilly in the lead role, but that fell through, uh, Doc Martin, and then, yeah, it kind of goes off a cliff after that, because uh, the next three entries are Martin Clunes, A Man and His Dogs, Martin Clunes, Horsepower, uh, Martin Clinton's the lemurs of Madagascar.
2: Wow, I think you'll find he was also in three episodes of Fungus the Bogeyman.
1: <laughs> yes, well, of course, I could be
0: overlooked that the infamous Fungus the Bogeyman. And it's he old was old. in
2: seventy-eight episodes of Kipper. So you can't really say that wasn't a success just because nobody's ever heard of it.
0: Is Kipper not an animated Doug? I have no idea. <laughs> he is. Well, he was
2: in seventy-eight episodes of it as Kipper, as the so Doug. Bo- as the lead voice role of the dog. Well, I don't know. I've not watched it, but if it's an animated dog, then yeah, he was Kipper it's, the dog.
1: Yep. It's
0: come on my mind now. <laughs> and right. Kipper's okay. It's Kipper, calm down. <laughs> Kipper's a dog. Order
1: in court. Let's not get angry over an animated dog. Or a tin one. Or a tin. Well, oh, we can get angry over a tin one all day long. That's fine by me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: So there you go. That's uh, a potted history of Martin Clunes' career after Doctor Who. But, but
0: right. this is his
2: first acting credit, Doctor Who. In 1983, this is the first thing he was in as an actor. The lead in a Doctor Who story. Which is not bad for a young actor with no history. I don't think that would happen to many actors these days. And yeah, maybe he wasn't quite a top-level actor. He's no
0: James Corden. <laughs> what? No. I mean, what position in his career was Andrew Garfield in before he was when he was in... Um...
1: Daleks in Manhattan.
0: Daleks in Manhattan.
1: Because
0: oh, that would be an example okay. of a modern Doctor Who doing pretty much what you're saying. Because he went on and played bloody Spider Man, you know.
1: Let's see, Andrew Garfield, Wikipedia. I, don't, I didn't see Martin Clunes playing Spider Man. Well, the years would never fit inside the costume for the start.
0: Well, yeah, somewhere, but somewhere in the Spider Verse, he will be. Yeah, <laughs> I think somewhere in Spider Verse, we all are. Yeah, but just it's him a and Gary Lineker,
1: fighting crimes. <laughs>
0: Can you imagine somewhere in Spider Verse Brian Blessed as Spider Man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can imagine somewhere in the universe's Universe is Falkorn <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. Andrew Garfield hadn't really done a lot. Uh, Doctor Who is I think sort of kicked him on though. Uh, yeah. Immediately after that, he starred in a few films, but he didn't play Spider Man for another five years. So I I'm not sure the argument in Doctor Who broke Andrew Garfield's.
0: I'm not saying it broke up. him. I'm just saying it you know, it gave him a leg up as an as unknown actor at the time and he's gone on to bigger things since. I didn't see Martin Clunes doing Hollywood movies directly after doing Doctor Who.
2: <laughs> no, I think it was a couple of years after that they started doing Hollywood movies. It was actually <laughs> nine years till he was in a proper Hollywood film after he did Doctor Who because it wasn't until 1992 they appeared in Carry On Columbus.
1: Oh, the high oh, point of British cinema.
0: <laughs> oh, yes. The high point, the wonderment of... Yeah. Did that not have John Pertwee in it as well? It did. I think it was, was it not it John did. Pertwee's last film role. I
2: and think there's all... a universe where we've all had John Pertwee in us. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> now that's his previous regeneration. <laughs> okay then, uh, anything to add to that, Cam, or shall we move on to the next question? So, I the think I've done enough. I've done enough with my Andrew okay. Garfield comparison. All right. The next point for the prosecution, then, Cameron. Uh,
0: next point for the prosecution. We need to talk about. Um, we need to talk about Tegan. We've kind of briefly brought her up a wee second just there. We need to. Oh, this, the the has oh. sort of said, "Oof, they are. The
1: judge would advise the prosecution to proceed with caution. With well, I am point. proceeding
0: with caution because I think that this, at this particular time during the Davison era, the TARDIS companion, um, ship was very much top heavy, so the. Adric is gone, which, as as I'm sure listeners will know, I shed a mighty tear about <laughs> of utter joy. So now we're left with Nyssa, who, as we'll go in later, has very little to do in this story as well and never often does. And so they give Tegan this backstory being essentially possessed by an evil spirit, which seems to, for the first episode at least, Cut off at the knees by just having a walk around and gawp at things with a Walkman, and then have either go—you know—the needle will then either go to one of two extremes: either confused child with anxiety, social anxiety, or booming-voiced evil spirit thing with acne. And it just—it seems to just not be a development of Ricardo. It's you know in. Previous episodes of On The Time Lash, obviously, when we appeared on that, we were, I was talking about healing it up, and you know, you know suddenly, suddenly this character's evil, Ugh. and this is what happens here. Oh yeah, she's possessed. Oh yeah, suddenly she's evil. There's no rhyme or reason for it. She just is. And it just gives actors a chance to just be, you know, cackle for a little while. And this is what's happening here, and I can't help but feel it. it she just can't get anything going. She's just told to just sit and just be sort of passive for the first half of it, and then just cackling, um, shrieking, evil spirit the next. She's wasted, essentially is what I'm trying to say. Janet Fielding is wasted in this story.
2: So you said that you don't want to see people with social anxiety, you don't want people with deep voices, and you don't want people on your television with acne. That's what's offended you about this scene.
0: (laughs) Acne always, Dave. Acne always. No, I'm not saying... No, once again, David Cummings is twisting words and trying to make it sound as if we're all racist and xenophobic and misogynist. How would you like her to show the inner turmoil she's experiencing? With something that's a little bit more subtle than this that she's given. But how would you do it? Give her something to do rather than just walking around just sort of staring blankly at things for the first half of it.
2: Well, like play chess against herself with a cat kit- kit- kit wrapper on her face, that kind of thing. Show the inner turmoil against the two sides. <laughs> it's a very hard thing to show.
0: We're inadvertently knocking Neil Gaiman here. I'd like to point out like, to the court.
2: Who <laughs> says inadvertently?
0: Well, yeah. It you does know. not
1: affect the case in question. Proceeds.
2: But it, it's a hard thing to show because somebody's having a problem inside their head, and you can't really show that. The budget wasn't there to have some esoteric scene where she's talking to herself so they have to show the different sides of her
0: taking control If once again we go back to the root of this we go back to Kinder and we go back to the parts of that um, show which actually before I watched this I thought it was in Snake Dance all the sort of hallucinatory stuff but it's actually in Kinder as well could we not bear in mind that that seems to have just been filmed on a blank stage can we not have just gone back to some of that again and recall back to that that surely would have been a lot better it would have given Janet Fielding more ado than just market scenes where she's just kind of skipping off running, pretending to be five years old again, or just generally staring at things. Why didn't they just go... It would have been the, the easiest thing to do would be, oh, the Mara's back. Here's what happened the last time the Mara was. We'll do that again, maybe a wee bit more expanded. But that'll give some example of literally in Tegan's head kind of idea, rather than what they got.
2: So you think that maybe the Doctor could have put a
0: device on her?
2: And then she goes to sleep and she's suddenly on a stage talking to herself like she's playing Nightmare.
0: Yeah, why not? Why not do something <laughs> like that? Where am I? I am in a crowded
1: marketplace. Go, go, two steps to your left. No, the other left! <laughs> <laughs> You're blocking an extra shot. Oh, for heaven's sake, Fielding. That, that's God. the
0: buzzsaw. You're dead. Oh dear, team. <laughs> Nasty.
2: And maybe that would have worked, but I think they wanted to show the character interacting with the world while she was under the influence of the different sides. But she doesn't so really interact with the world to begin with.
0: Not really. wheeled no. around by Nyssa. Yeah. Because she's not under any outside influence. But it's we only have really to show the difference when that's taken off. It's only really when that fortune-telling woman takes off the Sony Walkman yeah. that she actually gets to do something that's not just being passive but that that's how they wrote
2: the story she's in trouble so the doctor puts a device on her because he's the doctor and he can do that kind of thing that keeps her calm and safe but then somebody interferes and takes that off and we can see the change in her behavior and that's how the story progresses
0: it's very convenient that you can suddenly become a literal doctor and suddenly cure this whole thing can't it and then just suddenly bring forward this magical little box that can just plug in And suddenly that part of that character is in there until we tell it to do something.
2: So now you're moving on to the Doctor and the fact that sometimes he does things just for the good of the story that he couldn't technically possibly do in the last episode. This is going to be a long show, folks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All I'm saying, getting back to Janet Fielding, she's utterly wasted in this story.
2: Yeah, but she gets to do something. She gets to be one of the main characters. She's not just a companion. Falling around in a skirt or a pair of tight trousers.
1: She's actually Nissa. a character
2: in her own right. And you could have picked Nyssa's
0: behaviour for the prosecution, but you didn't. You picked Tegan's, even though well, she's Nissa's, an integral part of the this story. This is coming later, trust me. <laughs> this is what I meant when I said two of my points might coincide. Nissa is coming up later in the list. What well, you might as well get it to now, because Nissa is... again I've never liked the character Nissa at all. And this is pretty much a shining example of her time on the TARDIS is that she virtually does nothing other than follow the doctor around pace up and down a prison cell scream her head off at the cliffhanger to episode 3 and that's pretty much it she nearly gets him out of prison nearly being the operative word she's out of prison <laughs> And then she's about to save him, and then she gets caught, and then she ends up getting put in prison with him. She, she doesn't
2: save the doctor, she loses Tegan, she wears a horrendous outfit. Yeah, no, just, that's what she does.
0: Yep, that's it. Tegan is given once, uh, sorry, Nyssa is once again given out-to-do in this story, either.
1: I'm trying to think Did of you? other companions that fit your description of Nyssa here, but I'm. I have to admit, I'm not coming up with many.
0: Not many are so utterly useless and just there as set dressing as Nyssa was.
2: I think that might be the problem when you have two relatively similar companions because they're to an
0: extent almost interchangeable. Neither of them have particularly special skills. I think at so- least Tegan, um, because she wasn't like from another planet and was just, in inverted as a normal human, you can at least advance the story by having the doctor sort of explain things to her, and she wasn't so stuck up on, you know, the the doctor's appreciation of how the universe works. She was pretty much, you know, well, this is how it should do, and then talk over it. And you know, she was, you know, the mouthful kind of thing. Whereas Nissa is almost kind of level with the doctor in that she's this, you know, studied on this alien planet and is well-educated, and there's not much the Doctor can really explain to Anissa that she doesn't really know already, and it feels almost like she's superfluous to most of the stories she's in. As we've already said, um, in Kinder, she's off for two episodes with a headache, because they need to sort of get her out of the way for a while.
1: But then yeah. that is just a symptom of the crowded this isn't it? That at some point, one character's going to take a back seat in whatever story, if it's three of them. And, that, and that, that example it was, and this, and other examples, Ardric's not as heavily involved, much to the delight of everyone. But you see it in the yeah. new cities as well, that Yaz is often the one that's sidelined, because there's not enough... I was going to say, it, it's probably a problem
0: which is, 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 well, was, in the Whitaker era at the minute, but obviously now we've got um, John Bishop. You know, two of them have gone, and John Bishop is going to come in. So we'll be down to three by the sounds of it, which will be much, much more manageable. But I'd yeah. argue that probably... I'm sure that a is definitely comedian isn't going to steal the space. Not at all, not at all. You know, four is probably too many for a TARDIS team. Three's just on the edge.
2: Of- I think the problem is when you get two and they're a different gender, especially in the modern stuff, there's always a hope that they'll try and create some kind of well they won't. they nonsense, yeah. which is nonsense. Yeah, and for thanks. which I blame fucking Tennant and Piper.
1: <laughs> Dave, fantastic win there. Okay, so... <laughs> let's move on to the but, of tune in one. next time sorry that was all needed just somebody sticking it in the boot in the series 2 no, no matter how much of a roundabout way that is enough to seal the deal Sorry, Dave, okay. it,
2: it can be done with two companions because if you look at the smugglers that was two companions and that is a very very long time ago when mm-hmm. they managed it because they did almost a three headed story but the problem is finding enough story to do that with all the characters and I think that's why there's almost always a companion who doesn't do much. In this one, yeah, there was Nissa, In another one, it would have been Tegan. But I don't think you can necessarily say that Tegan was useless or underused. Because she she gave something in every scene she was in. And it may have been staring around, looking at the Doctor through a fisheye lens. Because she couldn't hear anything. Or apparently mm. give a thumbs up. But she always... One of the things I wrote about this is the story always moved forward. Every scene moved it forward. There wasn't any filler in this. There was no sitting around drinking, and let's do some exposition. Every scene started with something and then moved on to something else.
0: So are we on to the next point now? <laughs> no, I would just say It's tight. I'll give you that. It probably... I'd probably have to respond to that with one of my other points, though. In that... Regarding this being non fillery, I would argue that this story brings out. Davidson's Doctor is entirely incompatible with this story. And a lot of his scenes feel kind of empty as a result. In that, this impending doom storyline is at odds with Davidson's foppish hesitation. So, this story. Sees a lot of the doctor just kind of chasing round as a detective, and almost always failing to do so or finding out like what's going on at the last possible moment.
2: Yes, I I see what you mean because he gets locked in a cell and he doesn't try and escape. He just sits and reads a book.
0: He just sits and reads a book. And there's a bit where he thinks that you know clutching onto a crystal the first time round on the floor of the TARDIS and sitting cross-legged is going to do something. It doesn't. There's another time when he's trying to ask people about, you know, well, where's this? And what is this? And what's the sentiment when you do this? And no one tells him anything. It's effectively just the Doctor just trying to run around and find out information.
1: But this is Davison's Doctor. It yeah, I know, really this is Davison's many... Doctor.
0: But I'm saying that this story is entirely... If Dave's going to say that, you know, some scenes are like, you know, no scenes filler in the story's always advanced. I would say, yeah, but some of the scenes with just the Dav- Davison's Doctor in is just Like, his actual character in this doesn't... Seems to be pretty ineffective in doing anything. um,
2: Yeah, something does happen in those scenes, but it happens slower than in the other scenes.
0: I don't know. I mean, there's even a moment where Davidson, like, when they get caught in the corridor by the guards, when they've escaped the cell, he literally, within a millisecond, throws his hand up and says, oh, that's all right, we give in. And And I'm thinking... Can you imagine if this story had come maybe what, a few years earlier and Tom Baker doing that? No. <laughs> you know, imagine this same story but with Tom Baker's Doctor. Imagine this same story a few years later with Colin Baker's Doctor. Neither of them would be
1: so passive as this. I think the only instance that would happen to Tom Baker if they misheard it and he'd been taken to a room with bars in. Yes. Instantly you'd just go along with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. He'd be like, I'll take us to the to the, to the optics. Um, That's
2: the scene in the corridor, which is straight after the scene where they were chatting in the office and they all bolted out of the room on the doctor's command, where they were chatting. He gave them all hand signals and then went, right, run, and they all ran out on his command. That's the scene after that one that you're talking about, yeah, where the doctor doesn't do anything, doesn't take charge. It's the scene, scene
0: after that one, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so he just leads them into getting caught again.
2: But, but he leads them,
0: in, and then gives in. He leads them to their own almost demise, but it moves the story forward. He's useless in this. Absolutely useless. So now you say it. the
2: doctor's useless?
0: Yes. In this,
2: Vegan's useless. useless this is useless. The doctor's useless. Should you really be on this podcast, Cameron? I'll be
0: honest. <laughs> I don't know, Dave. Should I be? Four it's years. Now. Four years. Four years. <laughs> Oh bloody weird
1: oh, coming up to Edinburgh. Yeah, alright. <laughs> We're gonna pay you up for a hell of a long audition, but we'll let you know in about <laughs> half a decade's time. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Go on then, Dave, next point for the defence, please.
2: This is actually a believable story. There's no psycho babble, there's no tech like there's techno There's all that kind of thing here. But it's a believable story. You believe that there's this civilization where there's like stakes that snake statues and they do a ceremony once a year. And the note I've got is that we've all been Once every ten te- years. Alright, but we've all been to the town Fate where they reminisce about slaying a dragon or throwing the snakes out of Ireland, or they celebrate a good harvest with having a burning of the Burning Man. And it's like, that's the kind of thing that people do. And they might be aliens and there might be a snake with a jewel in its mouth, but this is what people would do. If somebody in the past had killed a giant snake, there would be a festival for it now where people got drunk and played games and threw coins at children. And it's really believable. There's there's some Doctor Who stories where you go and you go, yeah but like people wouldn't do this because people are inquisitive and stupid. So it makes me think of like we've seen episodes where people were stuck in the tunnels and they just stayed in the tunnels and never left just in case. You'd give it 20 20 minutes before somebody wandered out just for a look. Whereas the people in this are just people. You've got fake psychics, you've got shiesty men trying to sell people things. You've got the festival of oh, who cares what it is? Let's just run out and drink, and and it's a believable land, a believable planet. Mm.
1: Mark does make the point in his evidence about the sort of the story being about societal need for ancient rituals and traditions. So,
2: yeah, but I thought I'd make the same point, but in a more you know
1: human kind of way, <laughs> without sounding uh, like I should be rubbing my fingers together. <laughs> Bring it ah, in, more yes. for our audience.
0: Yeah.
2: Humanity's need for ceremony and pomp. Yes. <laughs>
0: yes, have them locked in the cells. <laughs> Give them their bread and circuses. <laughs> um, there's an element of this, and I don't know if anyone else got these vibes. That at the final episode where the snake's making its way through the streets. There was it was echoing for me. A sort of more family-friendly version of the wicker man
2: yeah yeah
0: there was a vibe of yeah the, this kind of like procession through the streets of this town or whatever in the same way that lord summer in the wicker man ends up leading the people in all their various dresses through to burn um <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, no, don't please, the, God. No. The court demands we never speak of that abomination of polite company. No, yeah, Carry step on.
0: away from the bicycle. Not the um, bees. Not the bees.
1: Uh, yeah.
2: Um, if the doctor was a Nick Cage film.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. And that'll be in the next episodes. I am making a notes. Yeah, it's very Wicker Manish.
0: Yeah. But you're saying it's a believable... Yeah, it's believable in the sense that there would be... It does play on tradition. It is obviously lined up to chime a chord with an audience who recognise these same ceremonies and things like that. I mean, at one point, there's obviously, there's a Punch and Judy show. and I had to kind of work out, how the hell is Punch and Judy seemingly managed to get halfway across a galaxy and end up on this planet as well?
1: Would you like a fun uh, fact about the Punch and Judy scene? Was the whole
2: idea, what or if, or if it was Punch and Judy but it was a snake, and that's where the whole idea for the entire storyline came from?
0: Possibly, <laughs> possibly. Is your fact, uh, without wishing to knock the wind, possibly out like your sails, Lee, is your fact that the child in the Punch and Judy show is the same one as at the end of Ark Infinity? No, it's not. Well, that's the fact I'll give, because it definitely but, is.
1: And the Punch and Judy scene is actually based on real events of a real script meeting between Eric Saithers and John Nathan Turner. That's how it panned out. Is that how it pans out? And uh, also, it's not the first time a pink snake has caused terror amongst children in television centre. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ.
0: Ah, oh, God. I wonder if on the time lash I've got any openings. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, this is. I'm not sure about believable. It's probably border on the fantastical side.
2: But I you think know, that's why the Wicker Man was so successful. Because everyone in Britain had driven through a town like that.
0: Yeah, or or, or at least heard stories or, of them. Or
1: them possibly in your case, not I mean, been in a
2: town like that, Cameron.
0: Yeah, I know, I was going to say, come on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> of the three of us. No, no, that's personal. Maybe, personal maybe their dad
2: had run a hotel in a town like that, I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Did you have many bonfires, Cam? Um, once a year. Yes, <laughs> once a year. John was at one of those. Keith Cheggman was never seen again.
0: <laughs> never seen again. Yep, yep. Cheggers was <laughs> seen naked on Channel 5. Oh, I prefer to think of him playing Extrics. Which oh, he was good at, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it kind of delves into the fantastical a little bit. It's not sort of realistically believable, if that makes sense. It's Twilight's
2: unbelievable, believable. Or it is the unexpected believable.
0: yeah. And, I mean, I don't think, you know, anyone's going to watch this and kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, we know the Ceremony of the Pink Snake. It's done all the time in Wigan. Um, You've never been a Wigan, have you? No. (laughs) Wigan, Paris. It's all the high Although although I'd like to think the Ceremony of the Pink Snake is an episode title in the running.
1: (laughs) That's going on the list.
0: (laughs) So, um... Yeah, You're I You're seeing this with your son sitting behind of you. Are you proud, cat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm very proud. Yeah, I'm not You've got a lid
1: on it tonight, you know, for, you know, for everyone's sake. I think we're too far down that road now. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. He
0: goes to school in Scotland, you know what I mean? I can't really, you know, prevent these things from happening. So, I don't think it's that realistic in the sense of, yes, you'd recognise it on every street in Britain, but...
2: It's not the cold,
0: hard realism of
2: Coronation Street. No. There's a tram crash and then they rebuild it next week. <laughs> or EastEnders where there's a pub that makes a profit. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the believable realism of almost the same as things, you know. Because if they made Doctor Who just things that happen all the time, it wouldn't be Doctor Who. It would be really fucking dull. I was going to say something, but there's nothing on television that's exactly like reality because nobody would watch it. Are you try to tell to be me David, close that... enough to reality, but just slightly off.
0: And you try to tell me that television sometimes lies for the benefit of entertainment.
2: I think some scenes may be filmed for the value of entertainment.
0: Bloody hell, and they're not real.
1: No. Oh, we've shattered That's this wrong. world here. We've broken it.
0: I'm going to have to reevaluate my love of professional wrestling.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've All heard that, that some of what they say they don't mean.
1: Oof. Right. I, I think now that that bombshell has been dropped, I think we should have a, a short break, let Cameron recompose himself. I think we should have to recompose him and then, and then consider my life choices. Yeah. and then uh, come back doing a couple of points if if yeah. you feel capable to go on,
0: Cam. I think I, I, I think yeah, give us five minutes and I'll, I'll have a couple of deep breaths. I, I'll uh, and then I'll, I'll I'll yeah I'll look at all my DVDs behind me and wonder where did it all go. Yeah, and we'll be fine. We'll be fine.
1: <laughs> and You'll find uh,
0: the to carry
1: uh, it.
2: Quite A quick return to the earlier point: John Portier was in Carry On Columbus as mm-hmm. the Duke of Costa Brava.
1: Here there you go. go. His finest role.
2: And to and show the level it? of it, Burke Walk was also in it playing a character called
1: Wang. Oh god. Oh now that's a point. Fort of Doomsday is a bit on the racist side, isn't it? There's, oh yeah. Actually, yeah. That Fort of
0: Doomsday. That's early on. There's a bit of headscarf action going on in Castrovalva
1: and all.
2: So oh, again, god. this is the least racist story in Doctor. The Group.
1: least racist. What an <laughs> achievement. <laughs> But if that's the case and Snake Dance is a shining bastion of non-racism in all of Doctor Who we could save ourselves a lot of time and effort and just get the time team to cancel the rest of Doctor Who we don't have to do any more of these podcasts we can retire On what proceeds?
2: Yeah, how, what that's... would we do if we lost this revenue stream? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Way, anger! Way, anger! In, sail! Wait, sail! in God's name! Make it go!
2: He's the world's most famous explorer. Mr. Fort Columbus.
1: Admiral Columbus is going on a lovely sea trip. He's getting his ship together.
2: This is Marco, the serial killer. Beats his victims to death with a sack of Rice Krispies. For a well-crewed voyage. Should
0: this Columbus have a route? I should get my hands on it. Upping his anchor.
1: Shove that in the captain in a captain (laughs) and probing unknown (laughs) part oh madam that is no snake sorry you're a very big boy i have seen his (laughs) testimonials
2: but when there's trouble down below he carries on we've just had a leak in the hold oh did you well next time do it over the side so grab an oar set sail with us and discover naked mermaids
1: naked women men who seduce young women
2: bingo it's nautical fun for everyone
1: ah, God. who are these guys
2: they're the biggest bunch of anchors that ever put to sea. thank you very much carry on columbus carry on columbus see it before it gets pulled
1: on Okay, we've had 15 flagons of mead and finished watching Carry On Columbus, so let's get on with the rest then. Cavern, next point for the prosecution.
0: Okay, right. Uh, the Mara, then, as, a, as an evil villain, is only really officially active for the last, t- what, five minutes of this. And even then, after that five minutes, it is dissolved into what looks like chocolate milkshake. That's about it. This entire this entire story relies on the threat of the Mara. When it finally appears, it's next to nothing, and it dies not long afterwards. It's pretty pointless as a Doctor Who villain.
2: Well, firstly, I'm not coming around to your house for a chocolate milkshake. The
0: best villains are... <laughs> it's more strawberry, actually, isn't it? Yeah, it's more strawberry. Yeah,
1: it's, it's, it's more it's strawberry. strawberry. Cameron's dead streak milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. It does. And they're like, it's better than being possessed by an omnipotent demon.
0: Yep.
2: I'm gonna put a walkman in on one side that'll block all noise. Yeah. (laughs) When you get bad guys that you see regularly, they're not scary anymore. It's the ones that you don't see that you're afraid of. If they're regularly used in every single season like the Cybermen or the Daleks are, they're just not scary anymore. Because you go, alright, it's that one, is it? So I think if they'd brought in the enemy too early, rather than just keeping it at arm's length throughout the stories, It wouldn't have been scary anymore because it's not that scary. It's it's the fear that's more powerful than the actual enemy. And I think that's what they relied upon. Especially because it was an enemy that had taken somebody over to try and get back to this planet. Taken more people over to try and return to its physical form. So it's it's like Zul in the Ghostbusters films. Zul only came back for the last like five minutes. But that was the big enemy they had to defeat. If the Mara had come back in the first episode and the Doctor defeated it, there wouldn't need to be any more stories.
0: What is the Mara actually going to do when it comes back?
2: Well, you need to read their manifesto pamphlets for that.
0: <laughs> what's, what's it going to... It just seems to be like it's going to come back and go and do what? It's exactly? going to stop
2: the SNP <laughs> for the Union. Um, what did it do last time? That it had to be stopped. It uh, would probably just take over everyone, make everyone on part of its sneaky hive mind. Yeah, yes, Cameron. On one planet, is that a cost you're willing to pay? Is that what it is? Well, it's I'm just, I'm just,
0: I'm not saying it's a, you know, a price worth paying. I'm just saying that it's, uh, you know, it, not in my backyard. Um, but it's um, it's because it's full of milkshakes. Yep. <laughs> it feels like there's no obvious kind of. Detrimental result to the Mara being there. Now the universe must be full of, you know, evil spirits and people with bad intentions. So what's another one going to do? It's going to be evil
2: with bad intentions. So you stop it. That's kind of the doctor's raison d'etre, is it not, to stop bad things happening? There's not like a sliding scale of badness. I mean, yeah, it's genocide, but it's not genocide of people we really liked.
0: It's only one point. There's
1: <laughs> only one
2: And they were dressed like fannies anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly.
1: If that fashion sensitive is the kindest thing to do, it's to the kindest thing to do, is out
0: the misery. It's all fine. I just yeah. think there's an awful lot of build up for the Mara in this, and then it finally happens, and then there's not even a chance for it to do anything, and it just ends up just making everyone clutch their ears a bit before
2: melting. But the Mara's been. Not in physical form, but it's taken over Tegan Mm -hmm. Basically before this episode's even Started Because this starts because Tegan's Given the Doctor the wrong coordinates So it's already insidiously Taken over And changing the way things are In the entire universe, not just on one planet Because it wants to get home To take over the planet So that's why it needs The Doctor wants it out of Tegan, first and foremost So to speak yeah. Oh, there's so many quotable lines like that in this episode. Is it still <laughs> in me, Doctor?
1: <laughs> oh dear. For the <Third> episode title.
2: <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the thing. I think the Doctor just wants to stop it because it's taken over Tegan, and its endgame might be to take over one planet. But it's taken Tegan, then it's going to take a planet, then it might take that whole system over. So I need to stop because it's evil. And that's why they stop it, just because it's evil. And it's not... It's an insidious evil. It's not like the Cybermen who want to take everyone over and you can tell who they are because they're big and shiny and shouty and stompy. It's quietly taking people over, giving them the mark on their arms that they're then left smart enough to cover. It's almost okay. like a fascism evil.
0: Would it not have been better to have a bit more detail in that? To, like, emphasise that? So that the mark seems more of a threat than it usually ends up being?
2: You could say that they emphasise that by having to take over Tegan, and then taking over somebody else with a big high-five Eiffel Tower, and giving them some nice transfers on their arm, because that's why it does. It slowly takes people over. And nice tattoos, mind control on them. Um, if we ever go to Comic Con again, I might just get that snake tattoo on my arm.
0: <laughs> For you <laughs> a walk, walk well, <laughs> around the conference hall, just going, look at me, <laughs> yeah. look at get me. me.
2: That you get a dress? Get lift, you just stand next to it and put your arm up against it like that till it opens.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd be great.
2: Throw those of plastic cups on the ground.
1: <laughs> Dave, do you want to give us an point for the defence?
2: This doesn't rely on practical special effects very much. There's a little bit of it, so much so that you actually notice when they do them and they stand out. But the rest of the time, it's actual physical effects. So they use a camera when they're doing Tegan's point of view, and you can see they turn the sound down, so you don't hear anything, so you feel what she's feeling. When she's wandering around, you can actually tell that she looks like she's on drugs, she's out, spaced out. There's all these things they do that they could have used special effects for, that they had in the bank, and they were relatively cheap for them, but they didn't use them. Because there's a bit at the start where she's having her dream, and it is like you're watching an episode of Nightmare. And it's like she takes three steps forward up the stairs. And then like she's just walking forward. But the steps magically jump underneath her. And they could have done that with loads of stuff. If they'd done the dream scene where she was talking to herself, they could have used special effects. But they didn't do any of that. And I think it makes a nice change that they tried to have physical effects. A lot of the time, as Cameron will point out, they were pretty ropey. None of the snakes look realistic. There's bits where they get a snake out and you can see its fangs literally wobble because they're made of rubber but at least they tried. There's an inflatable snake at one point.
1: And to be fair, that's probably more convincing than the original Kinder prop.
2: But yeah, they stuck with the physical props, which I think was a nice move on their part.
0: You probably already surmised what I was going to say anyway, and the fact that a lot of them look quite ropey in retrospect. I'm not sure how impressive these would have looked at the time, in the early 80s, but now looking back, they just seem a bit... twaddled. You know, would, they, would it have been more beneficial to have gone down the slightly more elaborate route as far as the effects go? Maybe, but at that
2: point you're going to take money away from it to do more elaborate effects. They've spent a lot of money on the costumes, as we've already discussed.
0: And brilliantly done though they are, yeah. That's there, well There's scientific. quite
2: a big cast in this. When you go to the crowd scenes, there's like a good 30-40 people in some of these scenes with costumes on on, and yes, it was all, like, fucking Tenko uniforms they were wearing. But there probably would have been a fairly big budget for extras and costumes, so special effects might have cost them more money. But instead of cutting down the number of people and scenes, they've actually kept with the physical effects. Because that Walkman must have cost them a good 5 six pounds out of Argos.
1: Of course, yeah. There has been money spent on all the areas as well, because there's a lot of sets in this. And pretty good ones at that.
2: Yeah, the Snakehead cave is quite believable as an actual cave.
1: Even the marketplace for being a cramped studio and television centre has got a sense of kind of depth and scale to it. It's a well-designed story.
0: Yep. I've got no problems with... I don't think you can really argue against that. You can't... It, Excellent. Like, well, you, as always, it's not up to us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think... Yeah, if you're going to talk about set design, then this is probably, I will give it that, one of the... Better examples as far as Hugo's, especially this period.
2: The the only special effect I really had a problem with was the one at the end, where
1: it was almost strobing,
2: and that's just because it almost gave me a headache. This is about where
1: old. the Mara's dying off and it's split between Tegan and the Snake though isn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it was just very sudden, very flashy, and not in a stylish way. There's your that or like,
1: a switch. Okay then, uh, Cameron, you got anything else to add? Um, i will just ask
0: you, Bits and Bobs, um, I was going to mention that the um, cliffhangers are pretty rubbish because two of them are essentially Teagan staring at things and uh, the third one's is screaming. That's it. I've also put down that uh, the resolution to this story, the defeat of um, the Mara is essentially just hippie Power of Crystals bullshit. <laughs> Which I would argue, if you're gonna go down the route of healing crystal bullshit, Planet of the Spiders probably did it better. Cause at least that was all about gurus and you know reincarnation of a sort. Whereas this is just literally just here's a crystal, it'll sort it. There's an old man that lives up in the hills. Oh, he knows everything. It's great. Go to him, perform the ancient ritual, smoke pipe of peace, and then you will be fine. Essentially, the doctor solves this by going up in the hills to get high. And then, when he gets
2: nicked for a possession, mm. he phones his dealer.
0: And that's it. That's all this really <laughs> it's really amounts to. It's like kind of going, there's a MacGuffin, there's a crystal. Oh, that solves the entire problem. We'll just use that. Good night, goodbye.
1: <laughs> is this why the Target novel was renamed Doctor Who in the Weekend Buddhist Retreat?
0: Yes. It right, was. Okay, I'd, I always wondered about that, Yeah, 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 yeah okay. it was. It was. It was. Okay. But this is it. I mean, it's just. It just follows this bizarre theme of oh, here's this. Um, guy who knows all the answers to everything. He's literally the first thing you see in this entire story. Um, and we'll visit him and it'll all be okay. Again, as I say, I'll revert back to the point of that the Doctor himself doesn't really do a lot in this story. And this is the, but the ending. The answer is just kind of handed to him on a plate and off he goes. It's
2: because he doesn't have his sonic screwdriver. Can't fix it himself.
0: So he needs a little blue sonic crystal.
2: Yeah. Cause that's what colour his lightsaber is.
0: <laughs> yeah. I totally.
2: If the Doctor was a Jedi...
1: <laughs> oh, God, no. Even I am going to have to draw the line at that one. <laughs> not in this episode, not in this episode.
2: can't believe I didn't go for if the Doctor was a Pokemon earlier.
0: That would have worked. That would have definitely worked. We'd have had lots of suggestions for that from the public gallery by me. Yeah.
1: Okay, uh, Dave, you got anything you want to add for the defence for Is that wrapping it up?
2: No particular points, but my notes include touched by a demon, you get a coin. That's the 80s BBC for you. Uh, This might be the most androgynous time in all of Who because half the men look like women, half the women look like men. you, You look at Who now and it's all social justice nonsense according to some people, but you've got an old white man, a black guy with short hair, and a hot young Asian woman with long hair and Jodie the Pretty Doctor. It's not exactly inclusive of all varieties of people, is it? I don't know, they've got a scouse in there. They're not people. <laughs> but yeah, from my thing about this not being an offensive episode either, it's a very white episode. It's all white actors in it. And there seems to be a lot stolen not stolen, but a lot of influences from different cultures that they use. Without actually being offensive. The guards look like they were in samurai armor, but it's never mentioned, never never touched upon. The they've got Punch and Judy, where did that come from? And it's nice that they've managed to use a lot of different influences without a feeling like they've stolen anything or they're using it as a reference, which you don't get with a lot of things. They'll go, Ah, we'll use that because it'll infer this, and people will think that. And they go, Nah, fuck it, put those guys in samurai suits because it looks good, and it's quite
0: nice. Well, yeah, Gun. counter
2: that rambling point, Cameron Phillips. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think a lot of what um, Dave just said could be put forward for the
1: prosecution, to be honest with you.
0: <laughs> ah, so what you're saying is you can't counter that point? I, I'm saying, no, I'm not saying I can't, I'm saying I don't really need
1: to. Fair enough. Do you, do you get the impression this is one of these episodes where we've run out of steam pretty quickly? <laughs> Is it just a little, little bit. bit? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. And he, he, even that was,
0: um, you know, after playing What if The Doctor Was.
1: <laughs> okay, in that case then, shall we begin Summing up. I, I we
2: probably better yeah, begin I think that does come back to being a very inoffensive episode. Like, we, look, we yeah. looked up and this is kind of mid-table on the list mm. of episodes. It's not got anything particularly good or bad about it. It's, it's pretty good, it's watchable. It's not going to offend anyone, but it'll be it very few his favourite episode this is. What What about it offended you, camera?
0: Everything I've just spent in the last um, hour and a half
2: detailing. Yeah, but that wasn't offence. That was things you didn't like about it. There's nothing in that actually offended you. Fine. Fine. At least it's not racist, though, you know.
0: It cleared that low bar. The defence rests.
1: <laughs> okay then, shall we uh, go to the verdict? Let's go to the verdict. Hear ye. Hear ye. The cult's in session. Now, here come the judge. Here come the judge. Okay. Right. Well, taking into account what you told me Are we not
2: to do our summing up
1: first? I thought you just had. Or If you want to sum up. I don't, to I don't, check I don't need to
2: sum you up. You can
1: if you want. You, don't, you normally don't bother. So, do you want to sum up? Final nah, thoughts? That's
2: fine. I've re-read my final thoughts and know it's fine, they can get thrown in the
1: <laughs> <place>. <laughs> Okay then, the verdict's right, I'll start with what you've told me in your points for the defence and the prosecution. Uh, Day's right, there's a lot of casting of young actors that have gone on to do quite a lot of d- d- television work. Uh, it's not stunt casting. In this period of the Doctor, there's quite a lot of young actors being given their chance, which isn't the case in the new series, it's kind of gone the opposite way. Uh, right, I've got to put you up about Teagan, uh, Cameron. Oh, right. I would suggest there's nothing wrong with Janet Fielding's evil acting. It's not hammy, it's not over the top, it carries the story.
0: Didn't say there's nothing wrong with her evil acting, I was just saying that it's, that it's not. she's not really given much to do with it, apart from to sit and cackle. She cackle well, that's all she really gets to do.
1: I will accept your point that the Doctor doesn't do much, but this is Tegan's story, much like Ginda was, and she carries the plot and the movement of the story quite well. So I'm not going to have anything said against Tegan here. All right. Essentially, she didn't really contribute anything, but that's only in episode one when she's under the influence of the Dream Machine. After that, it's, it's Tegan's story. So yeah, not going to accept that. The Mara doesn't need to be very early in this story, the sheer psychological, like Dave says, it's all in the minds of the people and what the Mara can do if it manifests itself. Guest cast is really good. Like I said, Martin Clunes is very, very good in this. Uh, the mother the and the son relationship between her, uh, between him and his mother, they work really well together. Uh, Clunes is really good, there's a sort of snooty, aloof Sarcastically dismissive aristocrat, and I saw that coming up on screen, Cameron. <laughs> but he has fun with the role while he takes it seriously. The cliffhangers, yeah, they maybe leave a little bit to be desired. I mean, Part these cliffhanger is nonsense, really. Lawn's just suddenly decided to kill them in a cramped corridor just because they need an ending. But, you know, downsides this is an underwhelming presence in us again, and it, there's the stupid caution that she wears. But like you said, that's a symptom of the Davison era, there's always one person that doesn't get the flying shape of the story. It's maybe not a strong story as kinder that came before it, uh, there's maybe a little touch of an underwhelming sequel about it, but on its own it's a solid story in the Davison era. And there's not really that many of those. I'm gonna have to, on the basis of what, basis of what you said, and a listener evidence is gonna have to come down It is not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who I'm afraid. It's a solid Peter Davison story, and I don't think boo. it's it should be cast out into the wilderness. So not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who.
0: Boo, boo! <laughs> Still got to say that. Just gonna say use kaboo you now
1: like a petulant child. <laughs> it's not fair. It's not fair. I'm going home. You never let He's me not... have a guilty verdict. You're not my real Dave, any thoughts on the uh verdict? No, I, I think you're about
2: right. The, the companions provide enough to move the story forward. I think Cameron's point that the Doctor does move the story forward is a good point, but that's because the companions do it, and the bad guys do it, so the Doctor's just carried along. Because, as you said, it's not his story. Um, the bad guy is not not properly in it till the end, but his ten tendrils of influence go through it. it it's not offensive, but it's not dull either. It's a quick story, and it goes through it quickly. There's, there's a lot of people who would have been too young when the original was cancelled to have watched it, but were adults when it came back, so didn't watch it as they were children, but would have been exposed to it through the Martin Clunes clip shows. And having re-watched those episodes, it's actually a not bad Doctor Who story. It's shown up as Martin Clunes in a bad costume, and that's how people know it, but if you actually watch it, it's an enjoyable, quick story. So I don't think it's guilty of anything.
1: Gary, do you want to make one final appeal to the listeners before this goes to the public vote?
0: Um, no, not really. I think I'll... You know... <laughs>
1: And there's,
2: man,
0: suddenly, there's a suddenly of I've, the just, suddenly I've just become, I've, I've become washed up, you know, a, a, a feeling of just, you know, what's the point? It's just washed over me. It feels like, you know, I won't be able to change anyone's mind on this. It's just, you, you, you pay good money to see the Doctor be, like, the star of the show, and this is just, like, he's completely ineffective in this. It, I still maintain it's the wrong story um, for this Doctor, completely. It would have been far better had this been earlier than Tom Baker would have done it, or even later than Colin Baker would have done it. Um, It would have, you know, seeing either of those two get straight to the point and pierce this sort of societal bubble of pomposity that um, has appeared on this planet, um, you know, a society gone soft, as they are called by lawn at the end, which is probably true, uh, would have been something to behold. But as it is, it's just one of those stories that just kind of, it washes over you, it's a Doctor Who thing, and it's that's it, and you just forget about it. As we already said, it's not one of the greatest ever ones. It's not offensively bad, or indeed racist, but it is just decisively average
1: and boring as a result. Well, we'll soon find out, because for seven days after this episode goes out, we put the poll to you, the listeners. You get the final decision on whether well, Snake Dance is guilty or not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who, uh, like I said a below, bit for seven days, and um, we'll reveal the results in the next episode. And talking of the next episode, it's time for Dave to do his jingle, Fingering
2: the box, fingering the box, finger, fingering. finger, fingering the box,
1: and for us to draw from the envelopes of justice. Dave is not a fan of his own jingle okay then so cameron uh you get to pick what you want to do for the next episode Um, as you win the votes in the last so do you want to defend or prosecute what we draw
0: uh, i'll have a go at prosecuting again
1: prosecuting okay in that case dave you get to decide where we stop as i finger the box and run my finger across the envelope so any points say the words what we draw is what we do
2: Stop.
1: Okay. In episode forty one of the polis box, we will be doing something from the Stephen Moffat era of Doctor. So we've got ourselves a modern Ooh, one. Oh, got a modern one. So I've got either a Matt Smith or a Peter capaldi Alright.
0: In
1: episode forty-one of the polis box. Cameron, you will be prosecuting The Hungry Earth and Cold Blood from Series 5. Oh, If it helps you prosecute it it's a Chris Chibnall story. Uh <laughs> Wow. Uh um, make it easier, I don't
0: know. I um, who knows? Um So it's not always the case that we, we, we do this thing generally where like before showrunners become showrunners, we always like have a feeling that their episodes in the previous series were always pretty good in some of the better ones and then as soon as they become a showrunner we're like nah they're all shite
2: <laughs>
0: yeah some of the chibril ones that Chibrel wrote under the Stephen Moffat era are actually quite good if I remember rightly but then as soon as he becomes showrunner on his own we're like nah
1: shite are you suggesting that Doctor Who fans are in any way fickle
0: Um I'm suggesting there may be a slight hint of that <laughs> don't
1: so know, know where I'm you're getting saying... this idea from there's absolutely no evidence of that I know absolutely. I know it's crazy Absolutely, great. a generalisation, Cameron Phillips, and you should be ashamed. I know, I should, I should hang my head the next time I'm out in public. But we've got Matt Smith, we've got Karen Gillan, we've got Arthur Darvill, we've got a Silurian two-parter. Dave, what do you think of that? It? It's Aquarian Wales. <laughs> it literally is. This time it <laughs> actually is.
2: <laughs> I'm happy with that. Let's go Aquarian Wales. Please tell me it
0: opens on a field of stars. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure. Does it not open on a quarry in Wales? <laughs> it no, it opens on... on like some kind of research facility, doesn't it? And they're digging in the ground, and someone disappears into the ground. It opens in a field of slate. <laughs> kind of like Frontios, they keep sinking into the ground.
2: Yeah, you, you say it's a research facility. It's a fucking shed. It's a warehouse yeah. shed, and some fat bloke gets sucked into the ground. It could be a Channel Five reality. When sinkholes go mad. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm defending it, aren't I? will shut
1: up now. Yeah, normally, not over the time you started prosecuting a defending it, I think I've already got the episode titled now as well, When Sinkholes Go Mad. I've <laughs> <laughs> oh, very little to do in episode 41. Uh, so, there we go. Hungry Earth, Cold Blood, episode 41 of the Polis Box. Episode 40 has been Snake Dance. As I said, we'll put the poll up on Twitter for seven days after the episode goes out you get the final say about it's guilty or not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who and that is us for episode 40 you've been listening to the Paulist Box thanks very much for doing that I've been Lee I've
0: been Dave and I've been Cameron
1: and we'll see you next time
0: bye everyone Bye. bye